If you've been to college, you probably have a good idea what cliff notes are. Um, that's how we passed our tests in college. Uh, Cliff's a great guy. He reads everything and then summarizes it in a very short amount of time. You can read what Cliff says, like a huge novel, in about 10 minutes. Um, and it's very useful um, in preparing for tests of different kinds. Um, Cliff Notes is, is something that we wish we, we had in the Christian life. Uh, ways to just look at some way to summarize all of this stuff. Uh, I wonder if there's a cliff note for scripture, right? Is that possible? Well, I know there is a cliff note for the Christian life to be able to see what's most important. Somewhere where we can come up with a summary of what God thinks is important, what the Apostle Paul thinks is important. And we have that today here in our passage in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This uh, passage that we're in, in fact, the first nine or eight or nine verses in the book of Philippians, uh, is really an introductory paragraph that the Apostle Paul began his letter with. Uh, in this uh, introductory paragraph, Paul is telling his readers how much he enjoys them, how much he uh, is so thankful to God that they participate with him in the you know, spreading of the gospel message. He talks about his, his prayer for them and, and how when he prays, he just is so overwhelmed with joy. By the time we get down to verse 11, he finally actually records his prayer. And so today we have this, this prayer recorded in verses 9 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1, which are really the final thoughts of this introductory paragraph and the climax of this section. But here in this three-verse section that we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul actually gives us the cliff notes to the Christian life. Tells us what's important. Tells us what he thinks is important, what God thinks is important. Things we need to remember about the Christian life are here recorded for us in these three verses. Listen as I read them for you. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, as you read through the New Testament, some of the greatest contributions that we have in the New Testament come from Paul's prayers. Most of his letters include prayers for the people that he's writing to. And they are wonderful prayers that, that reveal the heart of the Apostle. And not just the heart of the Apostle, but the heart of God for his people. These words here that I just read for you are full of doctrine, full of love for Christ, full of love for the saints. These are the cliff notes of the Christian life. This is what's most important. And so as I teach and preach you these three verses that I hope you'll hear this really is a summary of what's important to us as Christians. So let's, let's dissect this if we could. First of all by looking at what this verse, these verses say. The first thing I want to point out to you is that Paul thinks that a life of loving others is important. Do you see that? And is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Why else would Paul pray this other than it was important? Of course, loving God and loving people is central to the Christian message. It's a major theme of the Bible. You can't get anywhere very long in Scripture and not come across this theme. 
And the reason this is so ubiquitous throughout Scripture is because love is the primary character trait of our Creator. Right? This is, this is what we just read in 1 John. God is love. Right? So, if God is in fact love, that means that everything He speaks to us about, everything that's important to Him is about love. Let me read for you again what you've already heard this morning. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 and 16. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This is the fundamental reality of the Christian life. Love. It is the fundamental element in our relationship with God. It ought to identify those of us who actually follow God. We love one another. This is what Christians do. When Jesus summarized the law, do you remember how he did it in Matthew 22? They said, summarize the law for us, God. Uh, Jesus, what, what, is, what is the summary here? He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. That was Jesus' summary. Jesus' cliff notes of all of God's law. Love. Unfortunately, love is widely misunderstood in our day. We say we love sports, we love ice cream, we love hunting and fishing, we love spring or fall, we love the outdoors. We love all sorts of things. Even when we say we love other people, many times it's closer to the loving of ice cream thing than the kind of love that Paul is talking about. Right? I love you if uh, you're attractive to me. You know, if you got something to offer like ice cream, I'll, I'll love you. And that's unfortunately a lot of how our love is, isn't it? But the kind of love that Paul's talking about here is a little different than that. In fact, the, the word that he used was agape. Have you heard that word before? It's a divine love. It's, it's a love that comes from God. There's three things I want to tell you about this love. First is that. It's divine. This is why Paul is asking God to deepen the love of the Philippians. Because he's the source of that love. And if you want something, you go to the source. And so Paul says, God, make their love abound more and more. He's praying to God. Paul knew, as the Apostle John did, that the source of love is God. That kind of supernatural love comes from a supernatural source. He said similar things to the Roman church. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul wrote, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The source of love is God. It's divine. And since it's divine, it's not dependent on the merit of the one who receives it. Did you hear me? Divine love is not dependent on the merit of the person who receives it. That's good news for all you, you know, undeserving people in here. Friends, the only thing that divine love is dependent upon is the willingness of the giver. And he is determined to be willing. Hasn't he? Yes. It is solely based on the willingness of the giver to give it or not. It is divine in origin. The kind of love that Paul speaks about is not only divine, it seems to be a decision that we can make about each other. 
It seems to be voluntary. We can simply decide to extend it to one another without needing some kind of feeling, some kind of emotion, or some kind of merit that deserves it. In other words, here's the simple way. Love is a choice. Have you heard that before? Love is a choice. It's a choice to show compassion, tenderness, generosity, or to meet the need. It's a simple choice. That's the kind of love Paul's speaking of. Whether or not the person deserves this kind of love isn't the issue. We love because God loves. Jesus said in John 13, as I have loved you, so love one another. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? It's a good illustration of this kind of love. He, he didn't know this man who was on the side of the road, beaten. In fact, there were good people, good Jews that had walked past him and left him there. The Good Samaritan comes along who had no reason to love this, this guy and he loved him. It was a decision to act. And he did so. Jesus tells us in John 13, right after he said, As I have loved you, so love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love like this. What's Jesus saying? He's saying the decision to love like God loves is one of the most powerful evangelistic tools that you and I have. When we love each other when we don't deserve it, people on the outside recognize it. Listen what Paul said to the Ephesian church concerning this ability to decide to love or not. He says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. You have a decision, you have the ability to choose whether or not to walk in love, whether or not to imitate God. If you want to imitate God, then walk in love. It's a decision you make. So it's divine love that Paul's talking about. It's agape. It's a love that you can decide or not to do. And thirdly, it's dynamic versus static. It's growing. It doesn't remain stagnant. The idea that I'm where I get that, the word abound, what does that mean? It can't mean stagnant. <laughs> May your love abound more and more. It's, it's a dynamic thing. It grows. It increases because of the dynamic nature of this love, it actually tends towards growth. It wants to grow. It loves that environment. Every time that love is exercised, at least this kind of love, it strengthens everything around it. This kind of love is one of the only things in the universe that naturally and continually grows. Everything else doesn't, right? Everything else decays in the universe. Not divine love. Not agape love. It's dynamic it pushes the envelope. It wants to do more. Because of the dynamic nature of this love, it, it actually is something that Paul wants you and I to experience. He wants you and I to increase, to abound more and more in this divine, decisive, dynamic kind of love for one another and for God. So what is this love based on? We know what it is now, but what's it based on? A life of love, first of all, is seen, or it's based on what's seen in verse 9. Look at it again. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. There's the first thing this love is based on, is knowledge. Paul prays that their love may abound more and more. He wants more of just 
more than just some mushy, gushy, sentimental, unproductive love in the church at Philippi. He wants their love to be based on knowledge. He wants them to love because of what they know. Not some feeling. I like the way you look, so I guess I'll love you. No, no. I know something about you, so I'll love you. So this knowledge is the first thing that this divine love is based on. All throughout Paul's letters we see that Paul is afraid of knowledge that's not based on love. And at the same time, he's afraid of love that isn't controlled by knowledge. This is repeated more than once in Paul's letters. This is why he prayed that their love would abound more and more in knowledge. Not in warm fuzzies. No. Love and knowledge must always go together in the Christian life. So here are two dangers that I want you to be aware of in the Christian life. One is that is that of living the Christian life based on feelings or personal experience. The other, of course, the exact opposite, which is another danger, is living the Christian life based on abstract intellectual thought or truth. This particular danger views the Christian life as a philosophy to be lived, a basic didactic truth to be lived out. This approach, this extreme, rejects the affection of Christ, the affection of the saints, the, the emotion of the gospel-centered relationships that God expects of us. Paul wants the Philippians to avoid both of those extremes. All about knowledge or all about mush. He wants us to be in the middle. This is his prayer. That their love, their divine, decisive, and dynamic love would abound more and more based on knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge that Paul is speaking of is a knowledge of God's word. A knowledge of God that comes from God's word. A knowledge of the Christian life, the expectations of God on us who call ourselves Christians. That's the kind of knowledge he's talking about. The love that Paul is praying for is based on biblical knowledge of the real God-ordained value of our neighbors. We, we are each created in the image of God. That's knowledge that prompts love. Additionally, if we understand that in the church, we are all saved by grace. That is knowledge that prompts mutual love. If you're going to be derailed in the Christian life, if you're going to fail to love other believers as you should, it is going to be because of a deficient biblical knowledge. Not because you get tired of their looks or how they dress. Our lack of love, friends, is not because we're not lovely enough. It's because we don't know Scripture enough. And then Paul says the next thing that this divine love is based on besides knowledge is, look, Discernment. Discernment. What's discernment? It's the ability to make good choices about the things that really matter. That's what discernment is. The ability to make good choices about the things that really matter. Paul had learned this very thing as he walked with Christ. He had learned how to do with or without. He had learned what it meant to trust God in hard times. He had learned how to love people that were unlovely. This is discernment. Paul had learned this himself. 
This word discern um, is also has the idea of aesthetics. In fact, we get our English word aesthetics from the Greek word that's translated discern here in verse 9. So the Greek word, if you look in the Greek Bible, you would see knowledge and this word that looks like aesthetics. What's my point? What's aesthetics? Aesthetics describes uh, things that are attractive or unattractive. For example, the aesthetic, I like the aesthetics of this room better than the aesthetics in my dentist's office. This is much warmer, much more compelling to me personally than the dentist's office. This word that I'm describing is only used here in all of Scripture. That word aesthetics. The danger is misinterpreting what Paul is saying. If I'm telling you that your love for one another is based on knowledge and aesthetics, you might mistakenly understand Paul to be saying uh, our love for one another is based on knowledge and whether or not you're attractive to me. That is not what he's saying, obviously. What is he saying? Let me try to explain it to you. What Paul is saying with this word is that we need to develop a ability to perceive theological, spiritual, and moral truth every time. So discernment in verse 9 relates directly to the word that is used right next to it. Knowledge. Correct thinking. Think correctly about the truth that you know. That's the discernment in view. Paul is praying that the love of the Philippians would abound more and more based on their knowledge of God and his word and then be discerning and applying that knowledge to one another. Here, here's how this might work. So try to, try to track with these illustrations of it. The world says that our value is based on what we can contribute to society. Is that not true? Money, skills, beauty, intellect. Your value to the society is based on how much of those things you can contribute. God's word says our value is based on being made in the image of God and the value he places on all of his creatures. There's a discerning view. The world says you must be rich, smart, beautiful before we'll accept you. But God's people must say since God has created you and he loves you, we'll not only accept you, but we will welcome you and love you as he does. That's discerning. So let's look at the nuanced difference here between discernment and knowledge. We know the difference instinctively. Don't we? The difference between those two things, they're similar, but they're different. One has to do with information, which would be knowledge. The other has to do with the application of that information, which would be discernment. So, a better way to maybe say this would be that our love should be based on knowledge and wisdom. We need to know the truth, the doctrine, but we must apply it. If you don't apply biblical truth, it's of no value. To have a mind full of biblical knowledge without applying that knowledge to daily living is sad. It doesn't matter how many Bible trivia games you win. If you can't live the Christian life, it is pointless. 
The difficulty for me and the elders at Sun Valley Church is that we can transfer biblical knowledge. We can fill your brains with as much biblical knowledge that can fit in there. What we cannot do is help you apply it. That requires the work of the Holy Spirit, which is why Paul is praying for it. He's, he says, I've given you plenty of knowledge. Now I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will come along and help you apply what you know to your daily circumstances as it relates to the brothers and sisters in Christ. So this life of love is based on discernment, based on knowledge and discernment. And it results in what? What's the verse say? Well, Paul is praying that the love of the Philippians would abound based on knowledge and discernment so that, you see that in the verse, so that they can choose what is excellent. This is why Paul wants us to abound in love based on knowledge and discernment so that we can choose what is excellent. This is really a summary of Paul's theology. Paul is praying that God would grant the Philippians the wisdom to choose what is best and not settle for lesser things. This ability, Paul prayed, would flow out of their knowledge of God and his word and result in the ability to value what God values. Friends, do you value what God values? You know what he values, but do you value what he values? This is my prayer for Sun Valley Church, that our love would grow more and more based on our understanding of God and his word to the point where we value what God values. This leads to consistently choosing what is best, choosing those excellent things over the things that aren't so excellent. What Paul has in mind when he says choosing the excellent is like choosing between things that are okay and things that are excellent. Like that, I think it's the Geico ad, talks about the surgeon. And the, how's the surgeon? Oh, he's okay. It's like, uh, I don't want an okay surgeon. I want a surgeon who's excellent. That's what Paul's talking about. Don't, don't settle for okay in the Christian life. Press on to the excellent. This is a divine ability to choose what is best it distinguishes effective believers, or ineffective believers rather, from exceptional servants of Christ. You remember the parable of the talents, right? That's a good illustration of this. The master of the house was leaving for a time and he had three servants and he left each with a certain amount of money. And while he was away, those servants could decide what to do with that money. Two of the three servants chose well. They chose excellently and doubled the money, while the third didn't choose so well. It was not horrible. I mean, he gave the guy his money back, but it wasn't an excellent choice. He didn't choose what was best. Friends, we have choices to make every day about what we're going to do with the talents that God has given us. We each have gifts from God in the forms of skill, ability, time, energy, finances, intellect. How are you going to use those things? Are you going to choose what is best or what's okay? We can't afford to choose what's okay. 
as partners in the gospel, our daily choices are crucial. It matters what we do with our free time. It matters what we do with our money and our talents and our skills, our God-given gifts. It matters. These choices have eternal implications, and we cannot afford to be swayed by the God of self. We must choose what is excellent. Don't settle for okay. Discerning Christians who consistently make excellent choices, in my opinion, are short supply. In this church, we all know what the excellent choices are. We all know God's will on all important matters. The question for us, Sun Valley, Sun Valley Church, is are we going to do it? Will we choose what is best? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that we possess the mind of Christ. What this means is that we have the mind of Christ revealed to us in the scriptures. We have the mind of Christ. This is what Christ thinks. This is what is best. It's a record right here in front of us. We don't need to have some spiritual mountaintop experience to know what is excellent. We don't need to have a vision in the night or supernatural event to come our way in order to be able to have spiritual insight. We have all we need right here. We have the mind of Christ. Are we simply going to choose to do it? Will we choose what's excellent? Let's look at the next point here that we see in these verses. The first is a life of love. The second is a life of choosing the excellent. So a life of love is based on knowledge and insight and results in choosing excellent things. What's choosing the excellent things lead to? How do you know if you've chosen the excellent things? Sometimes you have to make a choice. You don't know if it was the best choice until after it's over. Right? So, so that we don't wonder and guess here this morning um, whether or not we've chosen the excellent things, the Holy Spirit decided to tell Paul what they were. And he wrote them down for us. Isn't that great when you know, biblical writers do this for us? Instead of you asking questions, here's the answer. This is what he did here. Look at so that you may approve what's excellent, now pay attention, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. <laughs> excellent choices come from and result in being pure and blameless. Excellent choices come from and result in being pure and blameless. And we'll see here in a second, it also produces fruit, but we'll get there in a second. So let's look at these point by point. A life of choosing the excellent includes purity. Purity. In order to make excellent choices that produce fruit in the Christian life, one must pursue pure and blameless living. You want to know if you're choosing excellently? Look at your life. Is it pure and blameless? Or not? Now, just so you don't think that we're all hung up on legalism and perfection, this isn't speaking of perfection. He's speaking about the pursuit of holiness. The, th the thing that we're all commanded to do, to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is not new to any Christian. This is our job, right? This is what we're supposed to do. To be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So 
So that's all he's speaking about. This is all purity speaking about is that pursuit of holiness, not claiming to be perfect. So the focus of purity is something internal. What's going on in the heart is, is the focus of that word, purity. Some translations translate that word sincerity. If a person uh, isn't pure, isn't sincere, they might be able to fool those around them in their life for a while, but sooner or later that will make its way to the surface. The word pure, this is an interesting um, concept here. The word pure comes from the idea in the first century when they sun-tested garments or pottery. They would hold up a garment to the sun and, and look through it to see if there were any imperfections. They would hold up a clay jar to see if it had any cracks. That's what the word pure means, sincere. Some that, like I said, some of these translations use that word sincere um, that comes from the words sine sera, which is in view here. That word, those words sine sera means without lax. What's that mean? Well, in the first century, again, uh, if a vendor was honest, he would say, that is a pure vessel. It's a sincere vessel. If he were dishonest, he would fill the cracks with wax and say the same thing. That, that's a great vessel. But on closer examination, by holding it up to the sun, you would say, ah, no, it's not. I can see a crack here that's been filled by wax. A vessel that is pure is a vessel that has no wax. It's without wax. It is sincere. Sincere, without wax. It's pure. We need sincere Christians. We need to be pursuing personal purity. What we don't need is to live a life of pretense or deception especially as Christians. We must acknowledge our need from Christ, embrace the fact that we need him, and run to him, acknowledging our sin, claiming his mercy and grace. But Paul said that this life of love this, that results in excellent choices also includes blamelessness. So that you may approve, verse 10, what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. As purity, the word purity focuses on the internal, the heart. The word blameless focuses on the external conduct. So Paul says you've got to pursue both. Not just external conduct and, and you know, fool your parents or your neighbor or your spouse. That's, that's the blameless part but you've got to be actually pure. You have a pure heart. Both of these things are required in the Christian life. Again, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the pursuit of these things, acknowledging that we fail regularly, but not trying to fool people about it, not, not, not trying to add wax to the, to the pottery and telling people in the lobby with a big smile, things are great. <laughs> I'm awesome. My kids are awesome. What's your problem?
Let me try to summarize what I've said up to this point. Since my introduction was about cliff notes, here's my cliff note. Clear-minded biblical thinking results in abounding love and excellent choices. Clear-minded biblical thinking results in abounding love and excellent choices. This promotes purity and blamelessness, which produces fruit. That's the next point. You see that in the very next verse. Verse 10 says, so that you may approve what is excellent. This abounding love based on knowledge and discernment helps you choose well. And because of that, you produce purity and blamelessness. And, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Clear-minded biblical thinking results in abounding love and excellent choices. This promotes purity and blamelessness, which will produce fruit. Fruit-bearing. So part of the summary of the Christian life is this necessary element of fruit-bearing. In case you think that it's just Paul talking about these things, or me, even worse... Let me read words from Jesus. In John 15, 8, it is the Father's will that you bear fruit. That's what Jesus said. It is God's will that you bear fruit. We're saved to bear fruit. Oh, we're, we're saved certainly from judgment. We're saved uh, from, from purposelessness. We're saved to peace with God and peace with others. We're saved for an eternity in glory with Him. What a wonderful thought. But here and now we're saved specifically to bear fruit. We're not saved to come here once a week and not bear fruit. It's not okay to come here once a week and never bear fruit. In fact, Jesus said in that same verse, 15.8, John, a sign of authentic faith is fruit-bearing. So God is, in fact, very pleased that you have put your trust in his only son. He's happy that you are part of the body of Christ and are participants in your local church, but he wants each of us to mature to the point in our walk with Christ that we regularly produce fruit. Spiritual fruit. What does that look like? What is spiritual fruit? It's serving. It's giving. It's sacrificing. It's loving. It's sharing Christ. It's being concerned with your neighbors. It's, it's preferring one another above yourself. There's a production going on. How many of our orchardists in this town would be in business if they just farmed and never got the fruit from the trees. I just like farming. That's not going to work. I just like coming to church. That's not going to work. There needs to be production of fruit. Note that Paul, in case some of you are like me and think, I'm actually good at this. Paul says that this fruit comes not from you, but from who? Jesus Christ. You see that? 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Evidently, we don't get credit for that. It comes from God. <laughs> In other words, a person must possess Christ for any of this to happen. Not only must they possess Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ must possess them. Jesus Christ must possess you, Christian friend. You must not just possess him, he must possess you. He must be all to you. If you expect to bear fruit, if you expect to abound in love, if you expect to make excellent choices, Jesus Christ must possess you. Let me read you again what Jesus said in John 15 about the matter. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Is that unclear? <laughs> Very clear. When you see purity and blamelessness and fruit bearing in your life, you know that your life will do what? How does the prayer end in verse 11 there? It'll produce what? Glory to God and praise to God. If you and I will abound in love based on knowledge and discernment, if, if you and I abound in love that's actually based on knowledge and discernment, making right choices, producing purity and blamelessness, and bearing good fruit, who gets the glory? God gets the glory, which is why Paul says it. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Friends, when you and I love each other, when you and I make good choices about the gift, gifts God has given to us, it brings glory and praise to God. Want to know how to glorify God? Love one another more. You want to bring glory and praise to Christ? Make good choices. Make the best choices with the things he's given you. You want to bring glory and praise to God? Pursue purity and blamelessness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me summarize it again with my cliff note. Clear-minded biblical thinking results in abounding love and excellent choices. This promotes purity and blamelessness, which will produce fruit to the glory of God. That's a summary of the Christian life. There you have it. Now you'll pass the test. All right? What a beautiful summary Paul gives us here. What a simple summary. This is what we need to care about. This is what's important. Pray with me. Lord, we do 
acknowledge that sometimes we make the Christian life a lot more complicated than it is. We uh, prioritize things that we ought not to. Instead of abounding love, we, we seem to struggle with any level of love. I ask God that you would do your work in us. It's been clear here in these verses that you must be active. This love is divine source. The good works that flow out of this divine love are from you. We must abide in Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, bring this about. Help us be these kind of people. Help us to love each other more and more based on the knowledge of what you value, God. Help us to value what you value. Help us to make good choices with the things that you've given us. Help us to pursue purity and blamelessness. Help us to produce good works. And we'll give you all the praise and glory. Amen. As we close our service this morning, I want to make sure that you can see the connection between the prayer of Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and the elements that are before you, the Lord's Supper elements, the, the broken bread that re represents his broken body and the cup of juice that re represents his spilled blood. I want you to see the connection here. The, the, the connection between these elements and what I've just told you is that Christ is the source of all these things. You need more purity and blamelessness? Come to Christ. You need to love your husband or your children or your wife or your neighbor more and more? Come to Christ. Do, do you want to make better choices with the things that God has given you? Come to Christ. He presents himself here to all of us now in these elements, ready to nourish those of us who are weak. Come to Christ. If you don't know Christ, you must come to him before you come to this table. These elements are for those who have embraced him personally, who have acknowledged his lordship in their life who are endeavoring to live for him, who are pursuing purity and blamelessness. These things are designed for those of us who embrace Christ. If you have not yet done that, I pray that you would do that right where you sit. I pray that, that you've heard the necessity of putting your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. But these elements are, are for those of us who are weak and have failed more often than we've been successful in the Christian life. If that's you, we want you to come to Christ. This morning, I'm going to read for you the words of institution written by the Apostle Paul that are intended to be read each time before we serve these elements to you. And then I'm going to pray over the elements and then we're going to serve you right where you sit to demonstrate our unity in Christ. We are called to have our love abound more and more. That's a, that's a corporate thing. And so we want you to stay 
in your seats. We're going to serve you where you sit, and I'm going to, you're going to await my instruction to partake, and we're going to partake as a demonstration of our commitment to one another in Christ, commitment to love one another, to make good choices together, to glorify God together by the fruit we bear at Sun Valley Church. Let me read these uh, words from Paul, and then I'll pray over them, and then elders, if you'll make your way forward to help me serve while I'm reading and praying, that would be wonderful. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you know Christ? Take the elements this morning. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can come into your presence full of confidence, knowing that Christ has gone before us with his own blood, sacrificed for our benefit on our behalf. Father, we give you all praise and glory for the person and work of Jesus Christ. We give you all praise and glory for the work of the Holy Spirit in us to draw us to yourself and to create uh, Christ-like ones. Father, bless us as a church. Bless us as individuals who come to this church. Help us to love more and more. Help us to um, pursue purity and blamelessness and good works for the glory of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.